0: Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. White House is scheduling a press briefing, as they often do. The question before us, though, is are they fully aware to engage in things that aren't just the talking points? And the answer is no. So we don't think about that anymore. Maybe the question is, what exactly are they going to lie to us about? What exactly are we going to hear that's going to make us say, yeah, that's not true? Whether it's about supply chain, whether it's about the southern border, whether it's about China, whether it's about climate. Remember, it was just a week ago that President Biden was there in Glasgow talking about how we need to act on climate right now. And then a week later, it was President Obama saying, my gosh, we have got a
1: massive crisis in front of us. The U.S. has to lead. We have enormous responsibilities. And obviously, we still have a lot of work to do. But last week, Congress passed President Biden's bipartisan infrastructure bill that will, among other things, create manufacturing, uh, create jobs manufacturing solar panels and wind turbines and batteries and electric vehicles and build out the first ever national network of charging stations so families can travel across the U.S. in electric vehicles. And I'm confident that a version of President Biden's Build Back Better bill will pass through Congress in the coming next few weeks. And here's what it will mean when that bill does pass. That legislation will devote over half a trillion dollars to reduce greenhouse gas emissions by over a billion metric tons by the end of the decade.
0: I think what he meant to say is that bill is guaranteed to keep people from being able to create a better lives for themselves and their kids. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. It's good to be with you. The phone number 833-GOT-TONY, 833-468-8669. Corinne Jean-Pierre, she is the deputy press secretary. Of course, uh, uh, you have uh, Jen Psaki with COVID. She's getting ready to she's speaking right now. She's going to introduce Pete Buttigieg. He's the transportation secretary. I say to you as clear as day that Pete Buttigieg is in well over his head. I don't think that's a question. I think that's a that's a fact. That is 100 percent, as Vanilla Ice would say, straight up fact. He isn't prepared to engage properly and honestly, but I could be proven wrong. And if Pete Buttigieg is going to take the take the podium and talk about what to do, well, then my goodness gracious, if he's going to have a plan, let's talk about getting a plan. Let's take it to the Secretary of Transportation, Pete Buttigieg, right
2: now. It will now become the law of the land, and it couldn't come at a more urgent time. I can tell you in the 10 months that I've been in this job, I have traveled the country and seen the state of our infrastructure firsthand. Uh, I saw mesh nets hung under bridges to catch pieces of concrete that fall off from time to time, century-old tunnels corroded by seawater that hundreds of thousands of people depend on every day, roads where community members are installing memorials to lives lost in preventable traffic crashes, highways that have cut communities in two. Infrastructure is so elemental to our society that when it's not there to serve us in the right way, all of us are impacted. But when it is, when it's strong, every community, large and small, rural and urban, privileged and marginalized, every community feels the benefits. When combined with the Build Back Better Act, the bipartisan infrastructure deal, which collectively I like to think of them as the big deal, uh, an answer to the new deal or the square deal before that, um, they're going to create a generation of good union jobs. They're going to make historic investments in equity and in the fight against climate change. They're going to make sure that America can compete and win in the decades ahead. This is the largest investment in roads, bridges, and highways since the creation of the interstate highway system, including the largest investment in our bridges ever, so that we can avoid devastating closures and disruptive collapses like we've seen, uh, including what we saw in Tennessee and Florida and far too many other places. It's also the largest investment in public transit, ever, with funding that will expand service to communities of all sizes, uh, including improvements for seniors and for people with disabilities. It's going to replace thousands of outdated buses with clean, zero-emission vehicles and aging rail cars with state-of-the-art new ones. It's the largest investment in passenger rail since the creation of Amtrak itself, and transformative impacts in traffic safety will be achieved. And it's going to strengthen our supply chain by improving our ports, our airports, and our freight rail. It's going to dramatically increase funding for major projects. Every year, we have our discretionary programs, RAISE and INFRA, where we support projects that are vitally important for local economic development and the national supply chain. We're going through the current round of applications for RAISE right now. And for every dollar that we have to give out, there are about 10 in impressive applications coming in. This allows us to grow those programs that we can use in very direct ways to address the issues of our time. I'll give you an example from the INFRA round uh, of grants that happened earlier this year. We announced funding for a project in Georgia. It's an inland port to help goods move onward from the port of Savannah. It is to create a new 300 plus mile freight connection between the seaport and the inland port that makes it faster to get the goods out of the port and then sort them so that they can get on the way to shells. Uh, But like I said, for every good project like this, there are many more that are worthy but that we can't support This helps us to change that. Uh, Later today, I'll be headed to Glasgow, and uh, there look forward to discussing how this legislation can help ensure that transportation, which is the biggest sector contributing greenhouse gases in our economy, can be a big part of the solution. Uh, You know, we've seen so many impacts of climate change on American lives, on our transportation systems themselves, and that's part of why this plan includes funding to put people to work electrifying our power grid, make our infrastructure more resilient to extreme weather, and build out a national network of half a million electric vehicle, chargers, and expand public transit, as I mentioned earlier, which is also a huge part of the climate solution. And, of course, there's a lot beyond our transportation elements of this, lead pipes, cleaning up pollution, broadband, and more. But what all of these investments have in common is that they will create jobs pipe fitters to replace those pipes, electricians to install those EV charging stations, auto workers to build the cars that plug into them. We need mechanics maintaining transit vehicles, drivers operating them, construction workers rebuilding those roads and bridges. And most of those jobs will be available whether you have a college degree or not, which is why the President often talks about this as a blue-collar blueprint for American competitiveness. And it's a generational investment. In every sense of the world. we something that uh, means a lot more to me now as a new father because this is how we do right by the next generation before it's too late. So thanks again and eager to take some questions. All right. Yes. Go ahead, Joe. Uh, Secretary, good to Thanks for being with us. Congrats on your the birth of your children. A question about the bill. This bill gives your department an unprecedented amount of discretionary funds billion dollars in competitive grants. Can you spell out how you plan to prioritize that money and just give us a sense of what projects you you see or we should expect to see getting money and getting started first? Yeah, so uh, our department has been gearing up hoping that this bill would pass, and now that it has, we've taken it to the next level. I would break it into two parts. Uh, part of it is handling increased funding for programs we already have, like discretionary programs such as uh, uh, Rays, formerly known as Tiger, and Infra. They're what you're going to see within the framework, of course, that the law puts forward is an emphasis on projects that taken together. But the judge is going
0: to take these questions. I do actually want to hear uh, some of those questions. And, of course, he now understands the importance of the generations, What being a new father himself, oh, dear Lord, just stop it already. But I think the, 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 the big one here was the line that involved unions. He made the statement that the infrastructure bill, which is a blueprint for the, for the future of the blue-collar worker, like Joe Biden cares about the blue-collar worker, his party certainly doesn't, is that the key here is that it's going to create good union jobs. Now, if you think you should rebuild roads because the roads are in disrepair, that makes perfect sense to me. If you think you should rebuild roads so you can give guys a job because it's a payoff to your union donors, well, we've got ourselves a problem every time they use the term good union jobs," they are making that exact claim, and they don't understand how that plays at all they don't you You cannot think for a second that outside of the hardcore. That the union rank and file is still the, 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 the provenance of the Democratic Party. Trump broke that. They don't believe you. Let me ask you, do you think people are worried about whether or not uh, building roads are going to create good union jobs when the union guys who build cars are going to get basically laid off for a month because they can't get semiconductors because we've got a shortage of magnesium? Uh, how do you think this works? You're going to give that guy a job and that guy's going to be out of a job. We can't make the cars to drive on the roads. We're supposed to repair with the union guys. So the union guys who make the cars, they're out of luck. And now you think you're doing them a favor. It's weird. But so much is talking point. And so few things are practical application. They aren't serious about the thing. They're only serious about the talking points of the thing. Let's take it back to the questions being asked to the Secretary of Transportation, Pete Buttigieg.
2: How do we make sure, in terms of where those buses go, but also looking at the business opportunity, the jobs that are going to be created, the businesses that that will have a chance to compete for for the business opportunities it creates. That, too, I think is a very important element of equity here that's in the spirit of Justice40. And again, we have a lot of guidance and oversight from the White House since that's an administration-wide initiative. But we know that we've got to build our own internal uh, kind of ways of, of uh, aligning and defining that inside the administration. As to where we target those, those dollars, you know, I, I'm still surprised that some people were surprised when I pointed to the fact that uh, if a highway was built for the purpose of di- dividing a white and a black neighborhood, or if an underpass was constructed such that a bus carrying mostly black and Puerto Rican kids uh, to a beach, or there would have been, uh, in New York, was was designed uh, too low for it to pass by, but that obviously reflects racism that went into those design choices. Um, I don't think we have anything to lose by confronting that simple reality, and I think we have everything to gain by acknowledging it and then dealing with it, which is why the reconnecting communities, that billion dollars, is something we want to get to work right away Putting to work.
1: But that's such a heavy lift. I mean, you have to reconstruct <clears throat> communities that this happened to. As you said, some of these beltways and, and interstates and roadways were built before the Civil Rights Act, before the Voting Rights Act, and were made meant to be racist. But how do you go about redefining and replanning these roadways and communities that are already settled in?
2: Yeah. Um, so what's interesting is it's going to vary by community and we have to listen to the community sometimes it really is the case that an overpass went in a certain way that is it's so good thing harmful we're focused that on to the serious
0: things it really is this question is from april ryan uh who you've heard before uh certainly a trump hater a black woman asking about racism baked into the roadways if you're telling me and i want to see proof by the way that a bridge was built four inches lower so a bus couldn't get through it because that bus was carrying black and Puerto Rican children. I'll say to you that's gross as sin. I will. Now I want to know how kids are getting from point A to point B on all the other roads that we have. So what is the argument that would we're making here? Not one about how we handle infrastructure today, is it? Not in the slightest. April Ryan's question is, of course, ridiculous, and the answer is, of course, madness. Because if you want to make the argument that the cities were built with uh, highways that divided black and white, just show me historically how that went down. And was it specifically to keep black people out? Or was there some other type of natural right of way that existed that therefore people uh, naturally settled on, even if they were indeed segregated? And then I would ask the question by whom? But the idea that we're going to engage $1.2 trillion worth of infrastructure to fix racism? This is pure ignorance. It's laughable. It's silly talk from silly, silly people. Let's take it back to uh, Secretary Buttigieg one more time. Why not?
2: But what I'll say is that uh, you know, we're really proud of the bipartisan character uh, of this bill. And uh, you know, the conversations that, that we had, it wasn't transactional like that. Uh, it didn't have to be because these investments were already so good uh, for the communities that these members represented. Uh, you know There are times when you ask somebody to take a tough vote to me, these provisions were rightly so popular that the only thing that was tough was for some Republicans to stand up to those who wanted them to choose party over what was right for their community.
1: So there was no discussion from your side about uh, the partisanship of it? So. I
2: don't ever remember talking about, uh, when I was talking to any member of either chamber of either party, talking about campaigns and elections in that way. Uh, what we talked about was how it would be good. Now, of course, I believe strongly that that good policy is good politics, and I think it's uh, going to reflect well on anybody who voted to deliver these big wins and, and these jobs for their communities. Uh, but uh, I, I think that's just clear on its face from it being such good legislation. Go ahead. Go ahead. I wanted to ask about the money for ports in the bill. For what? Um, sorry? The money for ports yeah. in the bill. Um, how will that help the supply chain issues that the U.S. is facing right now? I know that's yep. something that you've said often when you're talking about the supply chain. Is that help? Yeah, let me offer a couple examples. I mean, one is that we need to make sure our ports are, are as efficient as possible, right? And uh, there are cases where more technology—sometimes physical technology around the berths—but sometimes uh, it's more to do with the systems that help the different players talk to each other. Remember, port's not a single entity, right? You got the port itself, which is kind of like a landlord. Then you got the terminal operators, then you got the truckers, and all of them are interacting with competing shipping companies, right, to try to efficiently move these containers. They need to be able to exchange and share data. We'll definitely want to support ways to do that. So that's an example. Some of it's multimodal. If you see a backup of ships at a port, it might actually be because of something that's not so much on board the ships, but inland. Uh, That's why I was pointing that example in Savannah, uh, serving Savannah, where we have an inland port, so you can rush those containers out of that precious port. Does he port understand space. that if
0: he's going to go down this road, which I'd greatly appreciate, he's going to have to say to the longshoreman, "You're out." If you're going to talk about the idea of of technology, you got to tell the longshoreman you're going to have to deal with it. You're going to play the, the the intermodal conversation. More than happy for you to do it. Are you willing to say to those good union jobs goodbye? Ugh. Two things in one press conference that completely contradict each other. Let him figure out how it's going to happen. By the way, he's playing his presidential card right now like nothing else. You got to watch him do this press conference. This is where he sees himself. Guaranteed. I'm Tony Katz. The longer this trial goes regarding Kyle Rittenhouse, the more innocent he is. The idea that he was just shooting everybody in Kenosha, Wisconsin, none of that is real. None of that is true. The prosecution has done an absolutely disastrous job in trying to prove that. And one of the people who got shot said, So you were charging him, you were going after him, and he didn't raise his gun until you raised yours, correct? And the guy's like, That's correct. It's over. It is over. Now, you may not like Kyle Rittenhouse going up to Kenosha. He's got his AR 15, this after the uh, shooting of, of Jacob Blake by police, which was not a bad shoot. You may have all sorts of things to say about Kyle Rittenhouse. I do. I don't think he's my friend. Was he guilty? No. No. And there's not a jury that's going to find him guilty. But yet, there are people out there trying to threaten the jury. I mean, it's nuts. I'll get into all that as the days continue. Keep it right here. This is Tony Katz today. So, let me give you a twofer. One is a story of the elitism that is on display. Amongst this, uh, not only the, this administration, but the people who radically support it. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. So good to be with you. 833, got Tony. Eight three three four six eight eight six six nine. 468 8669. The other, a story of what looks to be like a whole bunch of journalistic malpractice. And a lawsuit that I only hope, based on the evidence we have now, David Portnoy wins in huge measure. The first is a story about Amy Siskind. Or is it Siskind? I'm not sure how you pronounce it. She's a, I don't know, a a somebody. She's got a lot of followers on Twitter. She's a former Wall Street executive. Um, But what she is, is an elitist snob. And a lot of people have been noticing that when you take a look at that Virginia governor's race, you see that college-educated white women went for Terry McAuliffe and non-college-educated white women went for Glenn Youngkin. So you went to college, you went for the liberal, you didn't go to college, you went for the Republican. And Amy Siskind... Says, uh, college-educated white women voted for McAuliffe by a bigger margin than Biden. Non-college white women gave it to Yunkin, And the reason is simple. Racism, they don't want progress. It's one heck of a line. She continues by saying, I join others in being dismayed and disgusted by these women. I don't know how to reach non-college-educated white women. The women I can connect with and influence are college-educated white women. I'm open to suggestions of ways of doing so ahead of 2022. Bring it. Well, here, let me, let me uh, show you how you uh, connect with people of, of all stripes, men and women, uh, college-educated and not. Uh, you don't think of them as less than because they didn't vote the way you wanted them to vote. That's just a little bit of advice from me to you, Amy. Use it as you see fit. That line from her is pure, unadulterated madness and elitism, because it is predicated on the idea that only the educated person knows how to properly vote, and not educated because they've read a book, not educated because they've started a business, not educated because they raise a family, not educated because they have a mind, no, educated because they got a certain piece of paper from an acceptable uh, university or college. Only with a college degree can you be considered good. Only with a college degree can you be considered decent. Only with a college degree can you know the difference between right and wrong. The levels of hate that are in this. And this is emblematic of the Democratic Party and who they are. They can't stop themselves. This is how they think. You cannot possibly have something to offer if you didn't go to college. You know, you've heard me say, if you're black and conservative, you're not really black, according to the liberal. Well, now, if you're white and not college educated, if you're a white woman and not college educated, you're not really a woman. See, see, it means that you're less than. She said this with a straight face, like she is somehow good. She said it as if she brings a value. She said it like it's real. Do you have any idea how ugly, how bigoted, how awful this idea, this, this, the, these words from Amy Siskind really are? And how hateful towards women. That is hate of women. Amy Siskind hates women. She calls herself a feminist in her, in, her, uh, in her little bio there on Twitter with her 500,000 followers. But how is this not hating women? Because what you're saying is that they're not women. Which is funny because if a guy decides he's a woman, Amy Siskind would be all about that guy being a woman. But women who don't vote the way she wants aren't actually women because they're uneducated. Well, they're not uneducated. They may not have a college degree. That doesn't mean they're uneducated. And she doesn't know how to uh, reach these people. Well, I just explained to you how to reach these people. Stop treating them like less than. And me, I don't have a college degree. So to be clear, the guy without the college degree just explained to you how to do something, thus proving there isn't necessarily a need for a college degree, or at the very least, a college degree doesn't actually have any level of proof towards uh, an a, uh, academic prowess. Just happy to help. Happy to help. Stop treating people like garbage and maybe you can talk to them. Stop hating people. Stop thinking of yourself as better than them. And maybe, just maybe, you can reach them. I know, it's, it's, a, it's a radical thought. This brings us to the story of David Portnoy. Now, I will tell you that I have no connection at all to barstool sports the only connection i have is that i actually performed the wedding ceremony for somebody who works there i did that the first wedding i ever conducted the last wedding i have ever conducted i i i honestly don't think i'm ever gonna do it again but i have nothing against Dave portnoy i have nothing against the way he runs his business um You know, uh, the only thing I want from him is to, you know, advertise on this show. That's all. That's it. I may not agree with everything, but that's that's fine. A guy wants to live his life and and, uh, make himself some fame, make himself some cash, knock yourself out. Well, according to Business Insider, David Portnoy likes rough sex. I don't know why anybody would care about such a thing. But what the story supposedly says is that there are women now very upset and uh discussing the fact that david portnoy has engaged in inappropriate sexual activity with three women but that's actually not the story the story is that the women after engaging in consensual sex Didn't like him, didn't like how it went down, things like that. But it was all consensual. They say uh, that it was violent and humiliating. Well, let's take a step back. It seems pretty obvious based on other things that we have heard about Dave Portnoy. Uh, He likes it rough. There are people out there who like it rough. I have nothing against these people whatsoever. I don't think there's anything wrong with that at all. As long as, of course, it's consensual. It's when something's consensual, I am done. Two people engaged in contract, which is consensual sex, I'm out. Thank you very much. But the story goes from uh, Business Insider that uh, they then went, it was to the police, uh, they, they then complained about it. And how dare David Portnoy? You could, after a consensual uh, arrangement, say, well, that wasn't for me. Man, I really didn't like that. But you're going to then say that it was abuse? Now, there's also a claim that uh, he is filming people without their knowledge. Now, that, you're absolutely right. That can be a thing. The problem before us is that this all supposedly happened in Nantucket. One of these events happened in Nantucket, I should say. And according to the Nantucket police, they have never received a phone call as described in the Insider article. The spokesperson had not spoken to the reporter. Her name is Julia Black. And no one is investigating Dave Portnoy. But Business Insider says they had seen a police report with an incident number and spoke with the department in the course of its reporting. Well, maybe yes, maybe no. Because the police spokesman is telling NBC News that the department never received a phone call. They don't have any investigation. So what is it that they're talking about? Portnoy also notes that Business Insider is contacting advertisers, alerting them that they're writing another article about Dave Portnoy and about Barstool Sports. And as Dave Portnoy explains it, they are essentially threatening uh, the advertisers with, do you want to be perceived as supporting a rapist? Now, we should be perfectly clear about something. As far as I can see, no one is making such an allegation about Dave Portnoy. What it certainly seems like is that Business Insider is a bunch of low-rent scumbags who decided to write an article about somebody they hate because he's living a life that they can't live themselves. Or they just don't like the fact that he's popular. Why aren't they that popular? Or they don't like his politics. Or he's a good villain and we can create some kind of Me Too movement thing around it. Let's go and get ourselves some fame. If you ask me whether I believe Business Insider or Dave Portnoy, I believe Dave Portnoy. Because I believe innocent until proven guilty. And so far, all you have shown me is that Dave Portnoy likes rough sex and he's had sex with women who were okay with it. Wasn't there a video a couple months back? Right? There was a video about the whole thing, or one of these things. All right. I don't need to see the video, thank you very much. We're neither here nor there. And we should be clear again. I'm going to say this again for the people in the cheap seats. There are women out there who also like rough sex. It's amazing what you can hear on this show. Honesty. A clear representation that there are different strokes for different folks. People like what they like. Everyone has their kink. And some kinks are totally fine. And some kinks are detrimental. And some kinks will get you in jail. But everyone has got theirs. They like what they like. And I'm not interested in judging those people. I am very interested in judging the people who after a reflection have decided that somebody did them wrong. I question that greatly. If you tell me That one of these women want to say that this was not consensual, well, then you're going to charge him, right? You're going to file a charge and you're going to go forward from there. I'm not telling you no. I am saying that it seems clear that Business Insider didn't engage in journalism. That's what it looks like. It looks like Business Insider wants a story, but doesn't have a story. So let an investigation go forth. But now we're hearing that Dave Portnoy is losing out on business opportunities because of an allegation. What was it, uh, producer Ari? They aren't allowed to have a sports book somewhere?
1: It's not. He lost a bid to this, and they didn't say it was because of. There's a, a New York gambling. Program they were making a bid on, and his company did not get the bid. And they didn't say why, but you know, this might have had a factor.
0: If I'm Dave Portnoy, I would sue Business Insider for a hundred billion dollars.
1: I don't think he has a case. Well, wait a
0: second. I don't think Business Insider has a case when they wrote this despicable article about him. So just
1: sue them. It's not libel, though, technically.
0: Producer Ari. What are you talking about? They want to introduce the idea that Dave Portnoy is some kind of serial rapist or, or abuser, and they want to not have facts to do it. At least that's what the first part of the story shows. Maybe they'll have more facts later.
1: They have uh, did- screenshots and, and documentation and, and testimony from... So I, I agree with you that it was a hit Hold piece. on a second. They have screenshots and document, uh, documentation and testimony about what? The women came forward and brought forth. Screen- they have. I'm not saying it's not a hit piece. It is, but it is not libel. Technically,
0: let's let a judge decide that. I say sue them. I say expose people personally and professionally. I say ruin the outfit because they tried to ruin him. Or people shouldn't print such things. Or we could say that people who read Business Insider clearly don't actually want news. They want propaganda nonsense. And people who write for Business Insider are amongst the cheapest low-rent people in journalism. Because they're not journalists, they're propagandists. It's Pravda, but without all the coolness. I'm not interested in being told I can't. They can do anything to attack anyone, and the rest of us just have to sit here and take it? No. I reject the premise. Now, I'd rather Business Insider didn't write such garbage. I'd rather they actually had a story. Right now, it only doesn't look like they have a story. Now, they might get to a story, but it seems like they desperately want that as opposed to having one. I'm not in favor of abusing women. I oppose it in every single part of my life. I oppose the abuse of anyone. I oppose the idea that you think you're allowed to have dominion over somebody through physicality or by law. But Business Insider seems to have written a hit piece here. And for that, they should suffer. That's my take. I'm Tony Katz. In Scotland, a grade school asked male and female students and teachers to wear skirts to promote equality. According to Castleview Primary in Edinburgh, we want our school to be inclusive and promote equality and boys as young as three were asked to participate. The email added the school wants children to be comfortable and leggings or other pants could be worn under the skirts. We have a weird, weird fascination in this society with equality. And it's, you know, this this wokeness is spreading all over. Remind me to start talking about wokeness and how upset the left is that we talk about wokeness. Because now they're trying to pretend like it's 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 not a thing and it doesn't matter and it's ridiculous. And you've got Representative Ocasio-Cortez claiming that people who use woke, like James Carville, is complaining about wokeness. Well, that's just what old people say. They don't know any better. So it's ageism. That's so great. Um boys are not girls and girls are not boys and what if girls are the ones who wear skirts and they don't want boys wearing skirts because that's what they do and now if everybody's wearing a skirt maybe they don't see it as wow look at everybody wearing a skirt it's like oh man now it's not cool anymore it's like when your parents get on Facebook these people are silly and now it should be asked should we trust them with our kids education because what they're focused on is, is just ignorant kids can be different it's okay now let's get back to math two plus two is four always so we're clear
2: i'm tony katz and this is tony katz today